Our scripture reading this morning comes just following the stories we talked about last week, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the story of the prodigal son. And just following this parable is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's important to hear the context of this, setting it in conversations about wealth and stewardship and management and relationship. So let us listen together for the word of God from the Gospel of Luke in the 16th chapter. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig. I am too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as a manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd and dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one or love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth." Here ends the reading. Well, this story we hear about the dishonest manager or the unjust steward is one of the parables, and all of the parables are a little bit puzzling, but this one is surely the most puzzling of all. It's infamously most preachers' least favorite passage to preach on. I like to do a little unofficial Bible study with some people in my life before I begin to prepare a sermon, and most of them said to me, I think you should pick another scripture. (laughs) It says on Wikipedia, so you know it's true, no parable has been the subject of as much controversy as this. And Phyllis Tribble has an essay called Oh no, it's time to preach on the parable of the unjust steward again. 
The problem with this story and its interpretation is the same as those visual puzzles. Do you see a duck or a rabbit? Do you know those? Is the dress white and gold or blue and black? Do you see a candlestick or two faces about to kiss? Do you see a girl in a party dress or a skull? In the scripture today, I think it's just like this. Do you hear a Robin Hood story or the Wolf of Wall Street? And how do you know if you are right or not? Well, what if we don't? I think we can make a case for either one, and hopefully we can draw closer to God regardless. Let's start with laying out some of the challenges in this passage and see if we can't find some clarity and eventually wrestle some good news out of this perplexing parable, the most puzzling of all of Jesus' puzzles. To begin, the translation from ancient biblical Greek to English is very murky. It's suspect, even. The word that we translate as shrewd is one of those moments where you can see two sides. Does it have positive or negative connotations? Does it mean sensible, thoughtful, prudent, and wise? Or does it mean foxy, underhanded, and sly? Which is it? Then, right at the pinnacle of the story, who is it who praises him? This is the point in the story where it changes, from Jesus telling a story to Jesus explaining what the story's all about. So who's praising him? Is it the master, this rich man, or is it Jesus who says to him, who commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly? Which is it? It could go either way, and it could actually go one of four ways. So many people always take the king, the father, the rich man in the parables to be God. So most people say that this is a God figure in the parables. Well, I don't know if that makes any sense. In that time, when somebody said there was a rich man, people would automatically have judged that person. The poor people of the time were ground down and oppressed, and they would tell you the only way anybody was rich was by expropriating land from people underneath them and then squeezing out every last drop from the earth and from the labor from the people who worked for them. So there's no way God can be compared to a rich man. So is an unjust rich man praising a dishonest steward for acting shrewdly, and what might that mean? Or is a wicked person catching up their worker in a system of injustice where the only way to make it in this society, the only way to not end up digging ditches or begging is to be dishonest yourself? That's why the translation, you cannot serve God and mammon, is usually left as though we're trying to search for what mammon is. It's beyond wealth. It's a whole system of wealth and power that traps people and catches them up in this system of injustice. So is the wealthy man good and the manager bad? Is the manager good and the rich man is bad? Is God the rich man? Are they directly opposed? And the debtors, we pray Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Are we written into the story? Is it perhaps God and Jesus 
who take our debts and slash the bill in half of what we owe, who give us such gracious forgiveness. So the plot leaves so many holes. We don't even know if the rich man, when he hears that this man is mismanaging his money, if that was slander, if that was actually true. And the bill that is described, we don't know if that was an extortionary price or based on such extreme inflation. And we also don't know, in the system of the time, managers earned commissions off the money that they brought in. So when the man goes and cuts the bill, is he only cutting his own commission, which would be a fair thing to do in an effort to, as it says, gain friends for yourself. Make friends so that you can end up in eternal dwellings. So Jesus' takeaways at the end lay out three different options. At the end, we're going to take a congregational vote on which one we're going to go with. (laughs) Well, first of all, there's be like the manager. Make friends. Use whatever wealth you have, dishonest wealth, honest wealth, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you are beloved of the people around you. You take what you have, you turn it into something better, and you take any resources that you have and use it to create community, to please other people. That would work. But then immediately following that, we hear, don't be like him. Take care with your things. All that you have is a gift from God, and if you are squandering it, eventually you will be called to account. Eventually you will stand at those pearly gates, and you will have to explain what you have done with your time, with your life, with your relationships, with your money. Is that what this means? Give me an accounting of what you have done. And we'll see how that checks out for you and if you have earned your place in these eternal homes. So is money a tool for living and it can be used for good living? And then the third reading, don't be like, don't be like him. Be committed to God only. Many Christians have taken vows of poverty Many Christians today try to live off the grid and are going back to homesteading, trying to step outside the system that they would call mammon, trying to remove themselves entirely. But even if we aren't that extreme, can we name mammon in our own life, whatever it is that calls us to serve something else, things, and not God? So what are those things that buy for your time, your money, your attention? And in the end, will someone be able to say that you were a servant of this mammon, this system, or that you only served God? So the true riches that will be entrusted to us, Jesus does make this leap, that the true riches are indeed spiritual, that there is a connection between what you do in your day-to-day living and your spiritual life. So... What do we do with this story that we might not understand or that we might understand in more than one way? I think it's safe to say we can read the story in any one of these ways. We can take any one of Jesus' three takeaway messages, or we can read the story in any one of the four ways we've laid out, and we can still use the story to come closer to God if we allow the story to be what a story is to allow this parable to be a parable, to puzzle over it, to wrestle with it, to let it 
pop into our minds as we live day to day, as we make our decisions, to say to ourselves as we go about our days, are we being like an unjust steward with what we have, or are we being wise and prudent? Are we serving a system, or are we serving God? Let's boil it down to the things that are surely true. God cares about what we do with what we have. God cares about how we live our daily lives. The things that we do matter. The ways we speak to and about one another, are they faithful? Are they kind? Maybe even the coffee that we drink. What kind of an impact does that have on the economy around us? What about the way we invest our money? Could we divest from things that we know are harmful to the wider world? All these things that we might do without thinking, they are telling a story about what we believe to be true. I read something funny when I was younger and just starting out being independent. It said, if you took all those receipts that sometimes you crumple up and throw in a wastebasket or leave down at the bottom of your purse, if you took them and held on to them and stapled them together, you would have a teeny tiny book. It said a teeny tiny book about why you're broke, but, <laughs> but you would have a teeny tiny book about the choices that you made. Where did you go? Where did you spend your money? Your receipts are an account of what you have done. And in the same way, they do tie into our spiritual lives. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. The economy is intimately connected with a system of justice in our lives. But ultimately, when it comes to this story, we just don't know the answer. And I wonder if that might be the whole point. Can we sit here and admit that we don't know? If I can stand here and tell you I don't know, hopefully we can all admit that we are comfortable with the nuance. Can we live with the unknown? God's foolishness doesn't always have to make sense to us and to our human minds to be right. Father Richard Rohr writes, if we are to speak of a spirituality of ripening, we need to recognize that it is always characterized by an increasing tolerance for ambiguity a growing sense of subtlety, an ever larger ability to include and allow, and a capacity to live with contradictions and even to love them. I cannot imagine any other way of coming to these broad horizons except through many trials, unsolvable paradoxes, and errors in trying to resolve them. He says, my guidance is a simple reminder to recall what we will be forced to learn an open-ended way of allowing, and the deep meaning that some call faith. Can we live with the unknown and in the meantime work on what is true? God cares about you and your life. God wants you to be restored to God and to relationship with one another. At the end, will we be able to say that we loved God and served only him, that we praised God as the psalm says that we opened with this morning in our call to worship, that we praised God from sunrise to sunset, which is to say that we praised God with every decision and every choice that we made. Will we be able to say that we served no one but God? May it be so.